You're listening to The Omni Show. Get to know the people and stories behind the Omni Group's award-winning productivity apps for Mac and iOS. Music! I'm your host, Brent Simmons. In the studio with me today is Grayson West, design manager at the Omni Group. He is also my boss. This very podcast exists because Grayson thought it would be a good idea. Say hello, Grayson. Hello, Grayson. So the question on everybody's mind is, are you a superhero? No, but I have had that comment so many times during my life. I mean, Grayson, right? That's like Dick Grayson and West, yeah. Adam West, yes. right? Um, There's actually a story with my name. All right. So my mother was giving birth to me, and my father was in the waiting room, and he was he was full-blooded uh, Cherokee Indian. Mm-hmm. And he had these children's books that were going to be mine. Okay. And there was a, a name in there, Grayson, and it meant like gray wolf in the story. Mm. And he's like, we should call... We should call my son Grayson. Mm, gray so wolf. that's how I got the got the name. Wow. Now I want to call you Gray Wolf West. Yeah, I wouldn't mind. That's pretty good. It is pretty good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the gray part, that's not a reference to your advanced age or anything by no means. No. no. I mean, you're ser- starting to see it in the beard. Yeah, yeah. But my hair hasn't gone yet. I'm yeah. pretty happy about that. Yeah, you're a few years younger than me. Not a ton. A little bit. No, I I'm I'm up there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 1968 for me. Okay. Yeah, all right. Three years on, you got three years on me. Yeah. So, what do you do at Omni? I'm the design manager and I manage the user experience team, the marketing team, and the website team. And, but there's quite a bit of overlap between the marketing team and the website team. But they at times feel like three distinct teams, but at times they feel like two. Okay. So, that's, that's quite a few areas of responsibility, though. Uh, so juggling is, I imagine, a lot of your... It's a big a part of, of the job, and it's taken some time to do it in an uh, efficient manner. I, I don't think I'm doing it efficiently every day, but I'm getting better at it. There's just a lot of things to keep track of. You know, As far as user experience, I need to keep track of what's going on with product development, what are engineers working on, what are testers working on, what my team is working on, on the website and marketing. You know, need to know and be informed about what the progress is of development for the website. What kind of progress are we making on milestones? Marketing, need to pay attention to the Mac and iOS ecosystem and what's going on there on social media and other Mac outlets out there on the web. Pay attention to advertising, PR. It's, there's a lot. Yeah. Uh, how, how large is the team, all told? Right now, one, two, three, eight, eight, yeah, eight, roughly eight. Which is bigger than a lot of like small indie iOS and Mac development shops. Yeah, definitely. Uh, See, when I worked at Userland Software, I think we were like seven at our largest. Yeah. So it's like running a small software company. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Yet at the same time, you need to know everything else that's going on in the company, like what's the current status of OmniGraphle for iOS and everything, right? right? So Totally. I go to to every product meeting. Mm -hmm. At one point, someone mentioned that I go to the most meetings here. I believe it, yeah. I don't know if that's still true, but it feels like it's some weeks. Yeah. Uh, You and maybe Ken. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah, no kidding. 
that's an awful lot to keep track of. So is your job a lot of um, kind of sending people down the right path or getting the resources that they need or um, encouraging their work? or All of the above. Mm -hmm. I think sending people down the right path is a part of it, but I think a bigger part is creating an environment or a stage for them to be successful. One thing I don't like to do is micromanage because I've been micromanaged in the past. I mean, hopefully you will attest that I don't micromanage. Yeah, you do not. I like the people on my team to find solutions on their own without a lot of prodding. I want them to have that freedom to be creative. So, yeah, it's all of the above. I mean, making sure that they're getting everything they need, making sure that they feel open to coming and talking to me checking in with them, having one-on-ones with them. Uh, When I first moved over from engineering to marketing, one of the first things I noticed that you did that I really liked was um, we had done a newsletter. It was the first newsletter I'd written, and then the designers and producers made it, you know, look good and sent it out. And and it was good, and it was all right, but it could have been a lot better. And after the fact, then you said, okay, guys, we can kick this up a notch. I, I don't know if those were your exact words, something like that. I think my exact words was we could do a lot better. Maybe that was it. Yeah, right. <laughs> but that was great. You know, nobody felt bad. Everybody felt encouraged. And like, and then the very next one was a whole lot better. A whole lot better. Yeah. It's, I'm very proud of my team. I, I think selfishly, I think I have the best team in the company. Oh, you do, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> no, quite, no question. So I was very proud of how everyone responded to that feedback. Uh, no one got their feelings hurt. And we did improve it and we're constantly improving that mm-hmm. content. And that's one thing I love about digital design versus print where I came from is we can make those changes like, oh, okay, this didn't work out how we wanted it to. Mm. Let's make a change. And it's, right. it's no big deal. So one of your jobs is really creative director. It sounds like, I guess yeah. that's kind of an old madman term maybe, but. Uh, yeah, it uh, definitely yeah. is. Yeah. And like, you know, coming from the print world, I feel like a lot of what I do is creative direction. Mm -hmm. And I think when I first got into design, that was kind of the goal, but I think that was every designer's goal. Like coming out of art school, like, what would he want to do? Oh, eventually. Oh, I want to be a creative director. Right. Yeah. And sort of reached that point. I didn't envision it to be software, Mm. but yeah, I really enjoy creative direction. I love working with creatives. I'm a creative person myself, even though I'm a bit of an introvert. Those two things often go together, yeah. really. Yeah. Right. My mother and father were creatives. My dad was a working artist. He was a sculptor. My mom mm, cool. uh, ran a community theater for a number of years. I pretty much grew up in a theater. Oh, wow. Yeah, spent my evenings doing homework in theater the seats. Theater. And yeah. I acted a little bit oh. just because my mom did it and I was there. And <laughs> it was fun. Sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's cool. So what's it like um, in the, I guess, the wider world of Omni? Are design considerations and discussions limited really to the design group or do more of the company take part in these kind of oh, talks? the latter. The company really takes part. And I think that's one special thing about Omni's culture is everyone here has an opportunity to participate and give feedback. Yeah, I say that to friends who work in this field and they don't quite buy it, Mm. but it's true here. Yeah. Yeah. People have anyone from Ken down to someone in support can come to meetings and contribute and voice their ideas. 
I think that's really special. It's really unique, mm-hmm. especially coming from the publishing world, which that does not happen. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. So one thing I've noticed and, and really like is that, especially with the support people, hearing their voices about design decisions, because they're very close to the users, obviously, and they know they have a good sense of what would work and what would be confusing. And, you know, occasionally I've heard somebody say, if we do this, it will be a support nightmare. And then they talk us through it and it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's true. You, yeah, yeah I, right. I totally agree. I've always considered our support team to be the front line mm-hmm. yeah. with our users. And they have the, the capacity to get so much insight from our users, especially since we have phone support. So they really get to talk oh, yeah. to our users and, and really hear how frustrated or, or how happy they are. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really special. And I think as a, someone who oversees the UX team, that's, we're really lucky yeah. to get that kind of insight. So Omni has, a, I would say, has a history of great design. We've won several Apple Design Awards in the past. And obviously winning awards isn't our goal. Our goal is to make software that people love and that they get their work done with. But I wonder how much just the history of doing great design here does that put any pressure on you is it a a thing you think about or there's definitely pressure there although i think the way i'm wired i put a lot of that pressure on myself i do think about it and like you said while i think about it and while i think other people in the team think about it it's not our driving motivation when developing software awards would be great recognition's great but at the end of the day we need to be making the best software we can for our users And while it would be great to see our name announced on that day, yeah, right, that it doesn't happen, I don't think about it a whole lot. Mm-hmm. I might get a tiny bit bummed about it, but because <laughs> sure. I'd love yeah. one of those cubes yeah. to be yeah. out in the front lobby. But I think taking OmniFocus for iOS, for example, I think we did some really great design work. And mm-hmm. while it wasn't the revolution everyone was sort of climbing for it was a great evolution i think we improved the product in a number of ways that are really beneficial to a large swath of people yeah i think so too i i especially love the three pane view that we have working now that just helps me so much as i'm using it it's like yeah and especially on ipad yeah i mean that i think that's such a huge improvement in my opinion Mm. i think it's one of the few apps that was really thinking about the iPad in terms of being productive on it. Mm-hmm. I think you're seeing more and more apps thinking about that. Yeah. So. Yeah, because the iPad really is the productivity iOS device. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, and it, and it does seem to have been neglected. I don't know if that's the right word, and maybe not even neglected by Apple, but by developers a little bit. So I love that we take the iPad super seriously. You know, to sort of piggyback on that comment. I, that's why I was so excited with the redesign in the App Store because there was just a massive discovery issue going mm-hmm. on there. And I think now that they've split games and apps into their own separate tabs, oh, yeah. I think that's going to give Apple an opportunity to be highlighting products like ours and other products mm-hmm. that are really taking advantage of the platform well. So I'm I'm excited for the future. Yeah. And we did uh, uh, OmniFocus 3 for iOS was featured. I forget, a month ago or something, yeah. but that was, uh, yeah, I, danced, I felt super I, I good about that. I danced a little jig. I yeah, mean, yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. pretty happy about that. Uh, it was a good day. Yeah. So what did you do before before Omni? Did you have some other jobs or you come straight here from school? Or? I've had a lot of different jobs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I was a wildland firefighter for a couple seasons. 
I've worked in warehouses. I've slung coffee. I worked in a bike shop. I was a bike shop mechanic for a while. What else have I done? I mean, there's been a lot of various little jobs. Worked in a theater. So, yeah, I've done quite a few things before I came to Omni and before I went to school. Where'd you go to school? I went to college at Savannah College of Art and Design and also Northern Arizona University. Okay. Uh, Savannah, Georgia? Savannah, Georgia, yeah. Oh, okay. Which Um, was a kid from coastal Oregon who'd never been to the East Coast. That was my first. (laughs) That was a change. Yeah, that was a change. Mm What did you study there? Uh, Design, obviously, I guess. Uh, Well, what happens in the first year there is you go through what they call foundations, and the whole first year is basically you're getting a foundation in a bunch of different sort of disciplines and arts, from design to drawing to painting, color theory, which was, color theory is probably my favorite class at the time. But my major was photography at that time, and I actually had gotten a scholarship to go to uh, SCAD for photography. And I really enjoyed it. But as I was progressing through the program, I started to realize how much student debt I was going to have, even with the scholarship. Oh, yeah. And so I started thinking about other things. And right before I went to SCAD, I was introduced to Adobe Illustrator. And that app really blew my mind. Because I, at that point, I didn't, even realize you could draw on a computer like that with that kind of control Mm, mm -hmm. and get that kind of output digitally for Mm -hmm. print. And that was sort of a side hobby of just messing around, designing, illustrating. And then once I came to the realization of how much debt I was going to have, I was like, (laughs) okay, maybe I need to think about other things. And so I took this intro to motion graphics and that just completely turned me on because I was able to bring those digital drawing and then make it move. I was really excited. And SCAD had a really great program at that time. And this was early days of motion graphics yeah. still even, yeah. After Effects 3? Yeah, okay. Maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I decided to change majors. But then I met my wife, and she came down to Savannah, got a job at a TV station, but she wasn't really digging Savannah. Mm-hmm. And I think at that time I was kind of ready for a change, and... I read about the Northern Arizona University's motion graphics program and contacted the instructor there and I kind of connected with him. And so I transferred, moved to Flagstaff, Arizona. All right. And so that's another big change. Not yeah, like Oregon. Not <laughs> like Oregon. Seven, 7,500 feet. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. So, and finished up there. And that's when I got into publishing while I was going, I hadn't, you know, I needed to work while I was in college. Yeah. And so I ended up working full time and going to school full time, which was crazy. Yeah. Wow. And so that's when I got into publishing. I got in with a small little local magazine, but then we got bought by Gannett Mm. and that. They owned everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that opened up sort of opportunities with larger magazines, larger Mm. dailies. Okay. And so did a lot of design there. And then once I graduated, the question came up, well, what am I going to do? I don't, do, I, do we want to stay in Flagstaff? And I had always wanted to come back to the Pacific Northwest because I grew up in Oregon. And so my wife and I just decided to move to Seattle, drop everything in Flagstaff, move to Seattle without any jobs or any opportunities. And mm. we did it. And then about six months later, I saw this Craigslist ad for- Craigslist ad. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. All right. 
Yeah, and you're not the first person to have noticed a Craigslist ad for yeah. Omni. I don't think we advertise that way anymore. But No. Yeah. So, and then I got an interview, which was intimidating. Um, Let I, me guess. Uh, was it Andrew? Yeah. It was, yeah, it was Andrew. Andrew. <laughs> Andrew, if you're listening, we love you. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually on my team now. Yeah. <laughs> which is an odd <laughs> twist. Yeah. But yeah, he was like... I think you said earlier, like he was like the Sphinx. Yeah, sure. He was no emotion, just yeah. hard questions. Yeah. And I remember, uh, he has a way of turning on his Vulcan side. Yeah. That just, yeah. It's and it was, it was kind of intimidating because I think there was eight people on my panel. Mm. Thankfully there was another employee on the panel who's no longer here. I think he's at Apple now, uh, Scott Mayer, but he was kind of throwing me lifelines, asking me like ah, real yeah. specific design questions. Mm hmm. And so he kind of gave me the outlet. And, and so I wasn't sure. I thought the interview went well, and, but I wasn't sure. Mm. And, but I got the call, got the job, and I became Omni's graphic designer. Wow, okay. And that was in 2003. All right. Yeah. So you've been here 15 years. 15 yeah. years. Wow. So you started off as a graphic designer. What kind of design were you doing at first? Was it website design or was it like icons? or? Yeah, it was website, any marketing material that went out, the Macworld booths which mm, cool. I loved doing because they were gigantic mm -hmm. and to be able to design on that scale was really fun. I'm sure I went to a number of Macworld booths designed by you. I remember getting a demo of Omni Graph Sketcher at one of them, um, mm -hmm. possibly from Dave. Yeah, anyway. And I remember being at the Macworld where the iPhone was announced and mm -hmm. the buzz on the floor that year oh, yeah, yeah. was special. Yep. Yeah. And then when they opened up the black curtains and there it was spinning in its glass case. <laughs> yeah. I remember looking at it and thinking, okay, there's the one that we all can't touch, but in whatever, six months, everyone in this room is going to have one in their yeah. pocket. And sure enough. Yep. And then I was asked by Ken if I had any interest in icon design. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So I designed the Omni Outliner 3 icon. The OmniGraph Sketcher for Mac icon, the OmniGraph Sketcher for iOS with Joel Page had a mm. role in developing the Graffle iconography. Okay. And then that slowly started to merge into UI design, mm -hmm. but I was still responsible for all the marketing at that time. And at that time, we were doing a lot of advertising in Macworld. Oh, yeah. uh, so we were doing full page ads in the magazine. Oh, sure. Yeah. Which those were fun to do too. The website, I've lost count how many times I had a direct hand in the redesign of our website. Mm, sure. It's changed a lot over it's the years. It's changed a, a lot. lot. And often. Yeah. yeah. Right. And slowly, you know, from UI design, I started having the opportunity to contribute on user experience. And, you know, when I went to school, that wasn't even a discipline. Oh, yeah, U right. UX, yeah. it didn't exist. So it's been really interesting to be at the ground stage and watching this discipline sort of start from birth to, mm -hmm. I think maybe it's a teenager now. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah, so that's been really interesting. And then about four years ago, Molly and Ken came to me and talked to me about becoming the design manager and managing the UX side of things. and. Mm -hmm. while keeping the marketing mm -hmm. side of marketing website side of things. Wow. And four years in, you're, you're still at it. You haven't run away screaming or anything. No, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been a lot of fun. 
being there when the iPhone came out, being there for iPad or bust was really, you know, looking back on it, I look back on it fondly. It was really mm-hmm. exciting. Yeah. Lots of creative energy going on. Mm-hmm. So. so outside of Omni, I understand you're, uh, you're uh, into fitness and sports uh, of various types. Big time. Yeah. Currently I'm into CrossFit. I am a CrossFit certified trainer. I also into powerlifting and kettlebells. What I are also- kettlebells? Interesting. Kettlebells have a really cool history. They were a uh, originally designed to be a Russian uh, measurement tool for agricultural use, mm. and <laughs> they started exercising with them. Okay. And here we are, 2018. Now it's a thing. And you they're can a buy fitness just for fad. That. Yeah. All right. It's really great for you. It's mm-hmm. and really versatile tool. Really got really heavy into sports when I was a lot younger. I got into surfing really when I was around six or seven. My dad put me on a surfboard down in Southern California. And I was like, oh, this is, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. And kept surfing when I could. Growing up in Oregon, my parents would send me down to Southern California during the summers because that's where all our family was. And that, I loved it because it's Southern California and it's warm and sunny and compared to Oregon where it's rainy and dreary. Mm-hmm. And... I would bounce around all my relatives for two and a half months and two of my uncles lived on the beach and that was amazing. (laughs) That's just good luck right there. Yeah. I mean, I grabbed my surfboard and walked across the street and went surfing. Mm -hmm. But then one day at my grandmother's house, it was July, the tour de France was on. I loved riding my bike and I was enthralled by it. Mm. And I was like, I wait, I can compete. I can race my bicycle. That's a thing. And we were in the kitchen and all my uncles were there. And I said, I'm going to be in the Tour de France one day. Yeah. And they just laughed. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this. Uh And I said that inside my head. And the next Christmas, my grandmother got me an Italian racing bike because she saw how serious I was. Mm. I was like, and that's all I ended up talking about the rest of the summer. Mm. Maybe that was part of it. You needed that bike. Yeah. Yeah. And so I got into bicycle racing, started racing in Oregon and Washington. I got better and better. But towards the end of high school, I, I kind of realized that Oregon and Washington weren't, really weren't the epicenter on the West Coast for cycling. Mm. And really, it was down in Southern California. And luckily... The big leagues. Yeah. Luckily, my grandmother lived down there. And then she offered a room for me to come down there. Mm. So I worked part-time and I trained every day. And then eventually I got better and better, went up through the ranks, and at one point got onto a team that was going to be sponsored and really excited and was like, wow, this is starting to happen. And then for the first race of the season, which was in Tucson, Arizona, me and my teammate arrived at the Orange County Airport, and we had credit cards that were issued by the team, so we had to buy our tickets mm. to go there. And we had all our gear. The credit cards got declined. <laughs> and so we make a few phone calls, and there aren't cell phones then. We're on, we're on pay phones. Yeah, right. what, yeah. what is going Who's on? Who's got a quarter? Yeah. <laughs> and the team folded. They didn't tell us anything. Wow. You're finding this out at the airport at, at as the airport. you're not buying yeah. tickets. Yeah. And all of us on the team had turned down other opportunities. Mm. Wow. And so the teammate I was with at the time was who ended up becoming a really good friend of mine. 
had raced in Europe the year before. In Europe, that's where we all wanted to be at this level. We wanted mm-hmm. to go to Europe. We wanted to race in Europe. That's where the best were. And he's like, do you want to go to Europe? And I said, yeah, of course I want to go to Europe. And he goes, no, do you want to go to Europe in like two weeks? Because we can still salvage the season. Uh-huh. I'm like, okay. Yep. So we left for Europe within two weeks. And before this, he kind of sold it that he had some connections. Oh, sure. Yeah. But unbeknownst to me that some of those connections had been burnt. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> so the very first night we uh, were in Ghent, Belgium, and we spent the night in a park with our jackets on, and we had our legs over our bike boxes <laughs> for they wouldn't get stolen. Uh, and then we, I don't know, this was pure luck. We saw a couple of cyclists ride by, and they, I, they looked like Americans to me because they had mm-hmm. American bikes. And I go, are you guys Americans? And they were. And mm-hmm. they, Ghent, Belgium at that time, was sort of this hub for American cyclists to come and race. Okay. And so we hooked up with them. They, fa- they helped us find some lodging. Um, and then we kind of got integrated into the local scene, and we just started racing. My first race there was just, I fell off the back within three laps. It was like a 15-lap race. It was so much faster than America. It was oh, crazy. Wow. Huh. And eventually, I started getting better and better, uh, meeting more and more people, getting more and more in connections, and was able to create a connection with another team in Holland for the next season. And so come the next season, you know, we're racing. It was a much well-supported team Mm. and I was getting better and better. And I was starting to get a little bit of interest from some minor pro teams. Towards the end of the season, I was in a really bad crash and really hurt my leg pretty badly. Mm. Also, what was going on at this time in cycling, because this is the early 90s, was doping. Doping was becoming uh, yeah. really rampant and almost a requirement hmm. to make it to the professional ranks. I witnessed doping quite a few number of times. Um, yeah, and so, sucks. So I got injured, and I also gave me a lot of opportunity to think. Mm. Pretty proud that my parents raised me not to be a cheater. And yeah. I was like, I don't really want to do this. I don't really want, I don't want to put a chemical in my body and I don't really yeah. want to cheat. So I just, I gave it up, dealt with some depression after that. Cause sure, yeah. this was like, Oh, and the dream's over. Oh, it was a dream. Yeah. Um, Did you actually race in France at any time? Even oh yeah. If, yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Raced I, all I, over Europe. I lived in France in 92 and 93 in Grenoble. Did you by any chance? Yeah, we raced through Grenoble. So you were probably we were there. with most mountains. Oh, okay. You were there when I was yeah. there. Wow. Huh. Doping and injury aside, it was just awesome. Yeah. To be racing over there and racing on those roads that you saw on TV. Mm-hmm. and So much beautiful country. Yeah. yeah. And they love cycling. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Americans don't. Yeah. You were appreciated there. Yeah, I remember when uh, the Tour de France came through Grenoble. It was like a holiday, basically. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was a huge deal. Every single person cared about it. And they even love amateur cycling. And, mm. and they're like, oh, you're American. Oh, that's so cool that you're here. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was awesome. I, I, you know, once I got over the depression part of it, I was like, oh, that was such a cool experience. Yeah. So, but then I found CrossFit about six years ago. Uh, that's kind of changed my life. And now I'm really into kiteboarding. <laughs> kiteboarding that sounds like i it looks like fun it's the most amazing feeling to be pulled by the wind on a surfboard <laughs> out in the ocean or i believe it a yeah. lake and 
it's undescribable, mm. especially when you jump. It's just silent. Mm. There's no sound right. except your kite whistling through the air. And it's special. I fell in love with it instantly. About nine years ago, my wife and I were driving on the Washington side of the Columbia River, and I looked over over the river, and there's a single person out there and had a kite in the air, and they were on a surfboard, and it just looked like they were just ripping down the river. And I was like, yeah. I have to do that. Because mm-hmm. I wasn't surfing a whole lot then. The mm-hmm. water here is so cold. Yeah. And so about a year later, my wife got me lessons for my birthday. Cool. And fell in love with it. I mean, it's super hard to get into. It's tough to learn. Mm. And there's some danger, but it's manageable once you learn the safety aspects of it. And as I was uh, getting better and better, I met this guy, this instructor, and he mentioned this place that was really great for kiteboarding. It's called La Ventana. It's in Baja, California, Sur. And I had spent some time in Baja, north of Baja, but I've never been in Baja, California, Sur. And so I eventually went down there, and it's like this perfect place in terms of the geography and the wind setup, and the wind comes on at 11 a.m., turns off at 4 almost every single day. Wow. And Just like it's scheduled, designed yeah. to be that way. Yeah. And the water's warm. The people are great. The locals are great. It's just really special, and I've fallen in love with it. My wife has now fallen in love with it. To the point that we store a conversion van, which is basically a small RV, and uh, our old Honda Element down there. Mm. And I spend between four and six weeks a year there now. Oh, that's cool. So you Uh, get to do plenty of kiteboarding. And And the kiteboarding season is really perfect down there because it's November through about April. Well, that's our winter. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. the rainy season here, yeah. So. Yeah, when the sun just goes away and... uh, yeah. 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 That's pretty cool. It made so many great friends doing that sport. And I love kiteboarding here locally. Like go out on Lake Washington this time of year is yeah. great. Go up north, go in the Puget Sound. I mean, it's still cold, but mm. got to wear a wetsuit, but it's fun. Still. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool. So quick question, cat person or dog person? Cats. Cats are better. So much better. They are better. I love dogs. Yeah. But dogs are like boats. Other people's dogs. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I want other people's dogs, not my own. Yeah. That's fine. (laughs) So you have a couple of cats? We have two cats. One is, well, we say he's a Norwegian forest cat because he looked like a Norwegian forest cat Mm. on the internet, but he's probably just a barn cat. That's Hershey. And then Sally, which is like, she's black as midnight. Mm. They're great. They're about middle age. Okay. Super fun. Well, you must be glad we're posting cat pictures. Finally, now. I, I wasn't yeah. well, sure. Well, you have to send me yours because I, right, I don't I'll have send those. you mine. Yeah, right. Uh, tomorrow's uh, listeners should know that we're recording like a couple weeks in advance, but tomorrow's will be Michelle's cat, Calvin. Oh. Half of the Calvin and Hobbes duo. Yeah. Oh, I'm it excited to see, to, to yeah. meet Calvin through yeah. pictures. Yeah. Uh, Calvin is a ragdoll. Yeah. And very oh. fluffy and nice looking. My wife wants a ragdoll. Yeah. They look cool. Anyway, on that note, we will close this off. I will say thanks, Grayson. Thank you. I'd also like to thank our intrepid producer, Mark Bosco. Say hello, Mark. Hello, Mark. And especially, I want to thank you for listening. Thank you. Music. Music.